engaging in painful idle chit chat, but I guess with more jokes. It's Major Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I used to be your co host until I took a mind to the knee. Peter. <laughs> Folks, if you're interested in more fantastic intros like that, the rapier wit of, of Peter reflected against my straight man routine, uh, by all means, join our Patreon. We have extra content there available, including coming soon to you a review of lo- of lower decks of strange new I worlds. I want to do lower decks. Yeah, you know, maybe lower decks later, but strange new worlds. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about in our normal episodes that we've watched it, and so yeah, we're going to do a formal review of the first season, uh, and we'll do that as our next Patreon episode. Uh, what you just uh, recently listened to on the normal feed was our generations review. So we roll those out to the feed after a few months. But as a, a thank you to the paying customers, we'll keep it for quite a while. And also thank you to Archivist Prime on Twitter uh, for informing me that apparently uh, 16th of September is officially weakest shit day, or at least it has been dubbed so, uh, because that is when Neelix showed up on his Star Trek Day calendar. I like it. Because it's kind of like a crappy day in the middle of not quite fall, you know? It's a tail end of summer. It's a good time. It, It... It seems bad when you first think about it, but then uh, you warm up to it pretty easy. And by the end, maybe September 16th would be the best. Now, Neelix, of course, is not the weakest shit out of Voyager. That would be that bullshit out of Chitrell. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the appreciation any way I can get it. I got a question for you. How, did, okay. did you. how deep did you get into Orville season three? I have not yet started it. Oh, really? Did oh, you really? watch season two? Yes, I did watch season two. I really dragged my feet because season one was pretty good. It was like interesting. And I don't know, something about them being a little bit, a little bit I saw felt like they were almost cosplaying Trek instead of like being earnest about it. I liked the first season because it was clearly a comedy, but still had that like a Star Trek feeling to it. And it felt like in season two, they were trying to make it too much like Star Trek. I don't know, man. season two, looking back through the because uh, I was getting ready for season three, looking back through the catalog, man, they just they fucking kill in so many episodes and it's so good. Uh, so now that it's on Disney, I was just letting shit run in the background to give them views and, and kind of pay attention here and there. But we started my wife and I started on Orville season three and I'm only two or three episodes in so far. Uh, but I will look forward to discussing that with you. The second episode, especially fucking good and kind of comparing that to where strange new worlds ended up. Um, yeah, we, we, we got to get you caught up. I got to, even I have to finish the third season, but, uh, I'm looking forward to talking that over with you. Maybe there'll be more Patreon stuff. Who knows? Uh, you know, I've, as I said, I don't think I love Orville as, mu- must, as much as most people because I just feel like it went from house style parody to facsimile. And it's not bad, but there's always something didn't quite strike me as right about it. Uh, but with that kind of firm, I need to talk to you about this vibe, I will definitely watch it so that we can do that. I like it. Speaking of some firm vibes... We're going to be getting plenty in this one. Season two, episode three, Minefield. 
what if you could make an episode that was shuttle pod one, but even I didn't like it, I would make minefield. What if you could make an episode that was shuttle pod one, but not dog shit. So I liked it. You would get minefield. (laughs) I, I don't understand either of us anymore. I was so, so bored watching this. I was so bored. Dude, because everything with Reed and Archer was so boring. I was just like, oh, could you just get done with these really stilted, slow dialogue you're having in EV series? Here's my criticism on screen. This is my criticism for Minefield is this has a little bit of a barge of the dead syndrome where they finally figured out the right way to tell this story. Uh, but unfortunately, it came after they fucked the story up two or more times previous, specifically Shuttle Pod 1. And then I would say maybe to a certain extent, uh, what was it, two days, two nights or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the episode they're trying to tell is, how do we make people give two shits about Reed? And the answer to that is not make him a sleeper rapist. And uh, substitute trip for Archer. And hey, sprinkle in a little bit of Romulans and now you're cooking with butter. I mean, the very best parts of this episode are clearly the the ship is damaged parts. Uh, the so too often in Star Trek, uh, the ship getting beat up or rocked or or damaged in some way is is not even window dressing. It's like a couple panels or, you know, somewhere off and. Uh, on the hallway set or something like that. And you got some lights going, maybe a smoke machine damage to the starship is never feels like it's urgent and it takes away a bit from what you're watching. But here the ship getting pounded on by a mine and having a whole chunk of its bulkhead missing has definitely feels like it hurt the ship. It's causing problems like fucking trip has like grease everywhere. And he's trying to make sure everything's still fucking working. It, it felt like the way getting a piece of your ship blown off should feel. Minus the fact that nobody dies. And on that real quick, has Enterprise actually lost a crew member yet? Hmm, I don't think hold they on. have. It, hmm. Did no one die in the first? Did no one actually die? There were because- some traumatic butt probes. There was traumatic butt probes. There was attempted rapes slash kidnappings. Uh, There was a guy who got twigs in his head because of the transporter. Did no one die? More people died in the IRL cast than the (laughs) IC crew. (laughs) Rest in peace, Crimin Cutler. And no one died. No No one died. That's kind of... Maybe, like, if anyone died, it was in, like, a battle scene when they said, two dead, and then you know, didn't I don't even think it. there was that. And, in yeah. fact, when they had, like, as they were selling the damage the ship takes, I for sure thought there was going to be a line in there that, you know, Crewman Cutler was amongst the dead to try and, like, explain that away. But the more I thought on it, like, I see that being in poor taste, killing the character because the actress died in real life 
I think he would only pull that trigger to have the character die because the actress died in real life if you actually made a plot point of it and then like focused on the character as a cut in for talking about the actress as in a memorial. Like that is like a classy enough move. But yeah, other than that, you would want to just step away from it. I mean, this is the uh, Dark Knight Rising problem, right? Like, why does Dark Knight Rising not work as a film? Because they could not even mention the Joker. Like they, when you watch that movie, you're like, something is missing. Something didn't quite work about how they put this together. Well, it's because they they couldn't actually talk about the even mention what happened with the Joker. They they were the 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 two face killings. That's how they euphemized the Dark Knight. So they didn't have to talk about the Joker because they felt like doing so was going to dishonor the memory of of um, Heath Ledger. So, so you just don't, <laughs> and your movie kind of like <laughs> kind of gets a little bit butchered as a consequence. So, yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna mention Crewman Cutler. In the spirit of having a hard time talking about something, we're gonna open up the way that all Enterprise episodes open it up, and that's with the food budget. We got a special little dinner going on. Actually, it's a breakfast, I think, and you got Reed showing up at uh, Archer's personal dining quarters where he has had chef prepare his famous eggs benedict and uh archer just wants to shoot the shit as he frequently does but that is not the way that reed is wired as we will find out he is as awkward as a guy who once is about to go have breakfast with his boss uh it could possibly be He's not friends with this guy. He reports to him as a senior military official, as far as his interpretation of the relationship is. That is for yes, sir. No, sir. As you say, sir. Here's a report, sir. Sharp salutes. Reports handed off, you know, immediately. And work tended to, um, uh, as if it was a matter of life and death, because it is for him. And he goes in to have a chat, and he's just like, nope. I do not have this capacity. I'm not going to talk about soccer with you. <laughs> I'm curious during these scenes if uh, Reed is genuinely this boring or if Reed is not doing anything from his end to try to make the com- process uncomfortable and discourage Archer from doing more of it. Because everything we've seen about Reed, like cut all the creepy creeper jokes out, right? He's disclosed that he's this is me trying to give the character of Reed a fair shot. Reed has Mm -hmm. been on my shit list for a long time. And I think this is the first episode I've seen in a while where I'm like, all right, uh, this is someone that I don't mind being on screen right now. Everything that we have seen previous to this indicated that Reed has a hard time making friends. If we jump back into shuttle pod one, he discloses as much and says, I, you know, you think I'm happy being in this situation. Um, I was just beginning to enjoy the fact that like for the first time I was making connections with the crew. This is all uh, bad timing. Like I, I, I do not want this to happen, but I could buy that. Reed just has a weird personality and he has a very hard time connecting with perhaps other men because we know uh, he certainly feels comfortable enough around women who are not co-workers. Yes, very specifically. He will not bang a co-worker, but if Lucy at the bar, 120%, apparently he's nailed them all in San Francisco. But 
I think it's 70 to 80% he is uncomfortable, 20 to 30% he trying to discourage Archer from doing it. It seems more of a, okay, you know, like get myself into position, do do the correct thing, you know, try to also synthesize this weird situation I don't want to be in. It's kind of get that stuffy British, you know, atmosphere to him. I, I bought it more of his just not knowing what to do. He's so uncomfortable, in fact, that uh, I'd forgotten what this episode was supposed to be about. Like, part of me almost wonder, like, is this guy an imposter right now? And he's afraid that he's about to be found out. Like, that's that's the yeah. air he's able to put off here. I get a call from T'Pol that there is, in fact, a M-class, the Nishara class, uh, planet uh, in sensor range. And they go to check it out. And that is when they hit the big kaboom. So before we we cut away from the teaser, you see a big old chunk blown out of the Enterprise uh, saucer section. It is pretty good shot. Like you, you definitely see the interior of the rooms that have been have been damaged. You know, in as it flies by, they really tried on the FX shot to show you that this is definitely the inside of the ship. I almost thought that I was watching that YouTube channel half screen where they do the cutaways. Like I almost, I'm pausing. I'm like, are there beds there? What, who, who just got blown out into space? Does any of that debris have arms and legs? It's definitely my, pe- fr- my, my next entry on weakest shit that somehow this is zero deaths. That definitely looks like someone should have been in their quarters. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, they'll quickly come to find out that, yeah, it was a mine impact. <clears throat> go full stop start looking around and they find wouldn't you know it using the exterior cameras on the ship there's another mine how do we fly into this how, how could this have possibly happened and here's a rickety point in this episode because they uh archer asks i don't know to paul or someone else like hey do we still have those uh those cheated up uh duct tape popsicle stick anti-cloak vessel detectors that uh, uh, that Edward Zuckerhands gave us back in Shockwave Point 1 when we started cheating like crazy. And it's like, you, you better. Anybody who would dare uninstall your ultimate cheaty weapons, you need to throw their ass in the brig. That's a Suluban saboteur. And they go, yeah, we got it. They pop them out. They got to get the rabbit ears and tune them a little difference to the Fox viewing position. But slowly, we see a minefield flickers into view. And jumping ahead a little bit, the owners of this minefield will later come to police their claim on this planet. And at first, I was like, okay, this is a honeypot, right? Like, you've got this, this beautiful marble of a planet floating there broadcasting all its Manchara class beauty, inviting come, come people. Come get this potable water. Just come get it. Get the water. Get the, I don't know, maybe the psycho-inducing uh, spore clouds or whatever else might make you get shot in a cave down here by a co-worker. Come on down. Check it out. And then, hey, you're going to fly through an invisible fucking minefield. Surprise! It was a honeypot. Now we've got you. We're space pirates or we're just fucking murdering psychos. Instead, like the bad guys, which obviously the Romulans show up and say, hey, this is ours. Get the fuck out of there. Okay, well, how about if you're not just going (laughs) to blow us up, 
You've got cloaked fucking minds that are powerful enough that they could have destroyed us in one shot and would have if we didn't have literally future tech from the 39th century or whatever, right? Yeah, if we didn't have our game genie still in the machine, we would not have beaten this. Yeah, uh, and then you're going to show up, shoot warning shots and say, hey, go away and then be very patient with us. Like, do you want to kill us or not? Because stealthed minds really seem like we want to kill you. But then everything else, like you kind of went a little bit out of your way to let us get away uh, so that we can, what, tell other people about your cloaked minds. This this does not come together perfectly. How about this? Uh, either you say we don't want you in this planet and then you have. I don't know, a visible minefield of death with maybe some cloaked minds in there too, or maybe your cloaked minefield with a big billboard saying, don't come here. There's cloaked minds. We're going to fucking kill you. Or you might as well just go ahead and put out some fucking punch and pie and say hello to the neighbors that might stop by because that's uh, lots of mixed messages here. Uh, what are the Romulans except mixed messages? Though? They're always trying to play 4D chess. They're, According they're trying to, to decipher CCG, they are treacherous which i don't know what part of this is the treachery i i guess this is just maybe rabbit infighting and this is like one commander sabotaging the other commander's work of like if you want to be a nice guy i'm going to surround the planet in invisible minds <laughs> i mean that hit that and even romulans playing 40 chess against each other yeah i like that i like yeah. that mm-hmm. so as you noted they they get into the mines they have continuity with their hacks which Credit work credits do. <laughs> right? Like, we still cheated two episodes ago, so what's up? Daniel and- is so busy cleaning up the mess of the future, he hasn't time to go back and be like, hey, by the way, you gotta give us back all this fucking info. And I'm gonna men in black time zap you a little bit too. And they find the mines, they try to to escape them, and, and Romulans will eventually show up. But the, the main courses of action here that are important to the storyline is A, uh, Reed says, well, it's a mine and I'm the guns guy. I'm the one who's actually diffused explosives before. So I'm going to go out there and check it out. And then B, Hoshi gets a concussion. So she cannot immediately assist in translating. Talk about Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Oh, we got to make sure we interfere with communications. Oh, Hoshi, look out a head wound. What? <laughs> I think that's the first time I can remember, at least, where a bridge based improvised explosive device disguised as a uh, instrument panel has blown up and actually somehow directly inconvenienced made bridge crew. Usually it's some random red shirt that yeah. gets fucking Thrown across launched. the bridge or something like that. <laughs> like generations, like the mother of all IEDs explode, lifts them across and over the tactical station. Yeah, like that dude was going for the fucking pole vault world championships. <laughs> So as soon as she got tagged by that thing, I'm like, well, cue the we can't communicate subplot. They get they're they're, they're trying to figure things out. Reed goes out. He gets his uh, space suit on. He he floats out there. He reveals to us. And this was gosh, what was it? Conspiracy. Was that the name of the episode? Uh, Which was the last time we really forced to pay attention to a term. And that's what these mines are made out of. Tri-cobalt explosive mines. Like, yeah, what fuckery is this? You're telling me shit from back in the sticks and stone days. This is what Voyager was rolling around with. That was powerful enough to take out the caretaker array. I think the now we know that the actual 
God, it was such a good episode. Well, there was groundwork for a good episode. Conspiracy? Okay. Yeah. The Voyager conspiracy? So, yeah, there was an interesting idea of Seven, like, going conspiratorial and turning people against each other on on accident, on purpose, and all of that. The they will, we will meme forever the idea that the problem was solved by Janeway and, and Chakotay showing up with guns to confront each so other. Stupid. <laughs> like, I was like, just impressed. That accelerated like, very wow. quickly. <laughs> it was a crap episode, but it was cool that they picked that one thing out of the fucking pilot and made like a compel a very compelling argument. So maybe yeah, who was who was supposed to be there? Was were they working with the caretakers? Someone. Or was it the working with the Cardassians? Oh, that's right. It was all a Cardassian maybe, plot. Maybe the Cardassians, uh, while they were tearing holes in the fabric of time and space, accidentally went back to the past, and they've gifted uh, the Federation then with these tricobalt devices too. Well, so if you didn't listen to that episode, the the concept of a tricobalt explosive is treated as if it is some sort of mythical space WMD. And that it was particularly odd for Voyager to be equipped with what is essentially siege weapons to blow up star bases with on a on a hunt for terrorists. And so to hear Tricobalts invoked in the mere 22nd century did in fact raise my eyebrows as well. I raised my eyebrows to how bad the CGI despite the cool hull damage, when they show uh, Reed walking on the exterior of the vessel. It looks so shitty. And just as I start writing in my book that it looks like trash, they zoom in and then you've got like practical hole plating floor pieces, which looks fucking sweet. And I love the fact that every plate of the hull has a unique identifier printed on it. Yeah, that's very Navy. You know, it was a custom made part, right? They built Enterprise. Every single thing on it had to be made to be specifically on it. Like uh, in real life space stuff, when they we built uh, the new space telescope that they just launched, a, you know, a few weeks ago, I think that is not a thing where you have any parts you buy off the shelf at, at a fucking Best Buy. I mean, like you have to have custom made every single fucking gizmo in this giant, complicated scientific uh, instrument you're going to launch into fucking space on a rocket. Just think the scandal if it came to light that there were parts of that that were purchased off of Wish.com. <laughs> our cheap, our, 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 our multi-billion dollar space telescope has got some fucking cheap, cheap wires that we cut off of, of Alibaba. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the Chinese got to us in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Reed's out there poking around and uh, he sees that the mine has attached itself with uh, some extendable legs that for whatever reason, the mine did not go off. The mine's in a terrible spot because it's right next to what I'm assuming is basically an engine assembly, something real bad, bad enough that later on, they're going to discuss the idea of potentially detaching the hull plating to let the entire mine float away, which I thought sounded cool as fuck and of course is hilarious because of the lower decks episode about shedding hull plates which is a red letter media joke about shedding hull plating like it's just the gift that keeps giving here uh but trips like listen man there's serious business under those hull plates and that is not stuff we necessarily want exposed yeah trip is well used in this episode as like he, he feels more like the engineer 
Like it's the grease on the face, man. They get him in the yeah. role. Well, it's not just the grease on the face. It's also him like there with his people. He's shouting. He's pointing to things. You know, it's all made up space, blah, blah. But it all feels very authentic. Like he's in a, a working engine room and he is trying to keep this machine together. And it is you know, undergone a shock. And you get that feel more. That's he's in his element in that. Where the episode starts to drag itself into the dirt is where uh, because uh, Reed uh, is on the hall while they're maneuvering with the maneuver stick out of the minefield as Mayweather has his best scene of the season where he's just staring. Season or series? (laughs) Series, perhaps. uh, Where he is piloting the ship with just this, this, this look of just steely determination it is his best acting he does not speak he the the mind moves and to make sure it doesn't wobble off it shoots out another one of its spikes unfortunately this spike tenderizes reed's thigh and nails him to the the deck plating Stakes leg. is yeah. the word you're looking for just boom Ooh. luckily for reed these ancient sticks and stone spacesuits they're using I uh, have self-sealing lubricant. It's like self-cocks around the the, the the puncture spot and the suit stays pressurized. Very nice. Real shame they didn't have those uh, in first contact. No, no trigold cobalt devices and no cool EV suits. Nope. Lost technology to a forgotten age. Let's go to the scorecard here. This is uh, leg injury number two or three for Reed at this point, because he got yeah. shot in Terra Nova. Correct. And I want to say he had a leg injury somewhere else along the way. And then there's this one. So minimum two legs. There's so <laughs> I hope by the end, this guy's like stuck in a wheelchair and this is all just like heavy foreshadowing or something. <laughs> We're going to have Archer, who has traumatic brain injury. We're going to have Reed uh, no longer being able to walk. He's going to be relegated to a wheelchair. Dan of Enterprise. Lieutenant Reed, magic legs. <laughs> what is the long-term consequences of T'Pol's sexual exploitation? <laughs> What's her fate? Uh, syphilis. Mm. Rough. Mm-hmm. What is Ross so is the leg wound and eventually Archer goes to assist personally because he can't have trip going out there. His trip is busy keeping the ship together. So that is, that's what the, yes, the that's the mercy of the episode is that we do not have to sit through read and trip again. And that has been the fatal combination that has ruined two previous episodes. So uh, what's going to happen here is Archer is not content to just accept the fact that his subordinate does not want to fraternize with him. Uh, And now that he has literally the most captive audience possible, he is going to proceed to work with Reed to try to disarm the bomb. Uh, Have you played the Quest VR game? Or I think it might be on Steam to keep talking and no one dies. No, but I feel like I just had the gameplay explained to me. The guy in the VR uh, has a bomb in front of them. And then the person who is not in VR gets access to the bomb dismantling manual and has to describe to the person who's in VR what wires to snip and what to poke and what to pull. And if they do the wrong sequence, they blow up. It's a great party game. I highly recommend it. Uh, And that is exactly what they're going to play there because the way that 
Reed is pinned, he cannot get access to the doohickeys he needs to the 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 light up dildos he needs to touch to to get this thing to calm down. Uh, we are going to go back to a core Reed character Bible trait, and it is the what I can only call at this point a self annihilation complex. He seems very ready to die. That's for sure. Very accepting of the concept of death. Which we already explored in uh, Shuttle Pod 1. And the guy who wrote this, which is John Shiban, and I don't know if that's someone who's going to be a frequent name, but what I really like in the Memory Alpha is that they specifically mention that in preparing for this episode, the guy did the unthinkable. He went back and he watched every other episode of Enterprise, so he understood the characters. And I think that's kind of what shines here is that there's a lot of breadcrumbs that had been laid down in previous episode. And this guy was real eager to go back and revisit all of that and try to flesh read out in a in a better way. I and- completely understand that, by the way. First, I agree. Plaudits to that guy. Plaudits. The fact that he prepared and then created an episode that paid off what he saw. I'm sure the actors appreciated as well. The problem is that the delivery system of having these two act against each other in these weird EV suits on this, you know, one note set of being on, on the, the the hull plating while there isn't really any issue with them completing the work in terms of their ability to communicate, they have nothing to work through really, except just the inane shit they decide to talk about. And because of the limitations of the environment and the suits, it's just boring goes from holding from, you know, a shot on one actor to a shot on the other, a shot on one actor, a shot to the other, back and forth and back and forth. They're not acting with each other. They're acting into the camera independently of each other. That's what it felt like. How can you criticize this episode for doing that when you praised Shuttlepod 1 for this one set, one stage because they were together in the shots. They were acting against each other like you would in a stage play. This, they're not actually acting with each other because they're in these suits. They can't hear each other when they're actually doing their lines, even in the few shots where they're both in in frame. And for the most part, it's one guy in frame, does the line, ADR later, do the other. Like, that's the way they did it. And it just was boring as shit to me. What I'm getting here is that you were upset that Scott Bakula is wearing a shirt. Obviously, I need to see this 40 at this time, 40 some year old man's nipples so that I know what I need to make my nipples. look. I mean, like if you were lucky enough to see it through all the chest hair, maybe. But as a man uh, with more chest hair than Scott Bakula. Yes, really. I am. I that is no problem to see through. That is that is Bush League <laughs> chest hair. Yes, that is a double entendre. I like it. Kudos again. I, I think the nature of the conversation works way better than anything they were able to do prior. Archer's going to say, well, I like to have casual chit chat under stress. It helps me concentrate, blah, blah, blah. Really, it just feels like he. I'm not willing to accept that he likes casual chit chat while he's disarming a fucking bomb. It still feels like he's the guidance counselor, the teacher that's really trying to reach out to the. The emotionally disturbed. Student, their, their special project. Um. And I guess that's kind of rickety. Like, this isn't the time to keep trying to, like, make friends with somebody. Uh, But what's going to start happening is Reed's uh, death wish 
will rear its head further and further above the water. And which I feel like they did way overdid too. Like him going on this long kind of meandering story about talking about his uncle and how he died at his post is essentially this obvious representation of how he is ready to die at his post. And then he says how he's ready to die at his post. And it's like, yeah, I get it. And then suddenly there's a circumstance where he might have to die at his post. And he says he's ready to die at his post. It's like, I got it the first time you fucking told me this. I like why it, did man. Why, why, all, did, why did two and three come along? It made all the bullshit out of shuttle pod one justified and i have a hard time remembering what actually happened in shuttle pod one versus what our conjecture was at the time but uh whatever the suspicions were this james seaman guy codifies we get the the story about his uncle who was uh afraid of the water afraid of drowning overcame his fears went into the Navy and sure enough, uh, died drowning, staying at his post and sacrificing himself. And that really sheds or that puts a lot of Reed's behavior in shuttle pod one into a suitable or a, uh, uh, an appropriate context. And then here he starts with, well, listen, I need to disarm this bomb. Just cut my fucking leg off. So I like, you know, the rest of me can float at an appropriate level to, to disarm the bomb. Uh, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, blah, blah, blah. And there will be several different stages of that. But, you know, Jonathan Archer and his Kobayashi Maru situation refuses to give up or surrender even a single soul. He can save everybody if he tries hard enough, which spoiler alert. And that's really my flaw with this is that the main drama of this is supposed to be the expectation that there's a chance in hell that both of these guys are going to fucking die, which obviously isn't going to happen. Just like obviously in shuttle pod one, they were in no real danger of dying. But uh, as far as exploring Reed, I liked all that stuff. I thought it worked a lot better. Uh, We don't really get much out of Archer because again, Archer is always able to just save the fucking day. I I don't, I'm not trying to say that I disliked the, elements of Reed's background that were written in here. What I am saying was bad about this episode. And I do think this episode is bad and, and dragged so horribly in the principal a plot that I, I don't can't recommend it to others is how it was shot and constructed and that it lacks no energy and no actual interaction between the two characters. And it feels stilted and, um, just boring just boring you don't you end up disengaging from what's happening and repetitive very repetitive again i'm gonna disagree with all that but let me let me pose this to you because everything you're describing right now is exactly my feelings during what was that stupid oh desert crossing Mm-hmm. And that's when Archer and Trip got stuck out in the desert. Is the problem Scott Bakula or at least the character of Archer? Is there something about Archer's behavior or Archer's portrayal when he is left alone with another character for an extended amount of time on screen? That is possible. I think you and I disliked that part of Desert Crossing specifically 
because the plot they had working before the desert survival piece was much better. And then it just doesn't really end up going the distance. Yeah. But if they would have made the, the stuff prior to the desert survival scene worse, it would not have made that part better. That Archer, Archer being cooler or Archer being healthier or Archer being more competent than the other person in the scene is a recipe for disaster. And in, in desert crossing Archer was the cool kid and trip was the fool uh, or, you know, the, the disadvantaged And this one, Archer has the upper hand reads at a disadvantage. I'm trying to think if there's any other situations where he has been stuck. Archer, Archer was uh, the similar dynamic played out in in um, the uh, Andorian incident, the when they went to Pajem, where Archer is the principal character and he's mostly interacting with Paul and he is very cool in that episode and he does all the he's better than everyone. But I think in that episode it works a lot better, mostly because he's like fucked up at the end, <laughs> like he's all beaten uh, and bruised. That other but- episode's much better because uh, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs helps, but is Jeffrey Combs just so good that it made Archer feel more interesting? Or did Scott ba- did they do a better job of Archer being interesting in that episode? It wasn't Archer one-on-one with people for like 10 minutes plus. And that's that's what Desert Crossing was. That's what this is. I will be curious. It's something we need to keep an eye on the next time it pops up. Because yeah. I think uh, you're onto something, but I'm not sure you're right yet. He was bad in Dear Doctor, too. He was bad in Dear Doctor. If you think about it, like his conversations with flocks, like he wasn't very convincing in those. You know, you just he didn't really carry it there. Well, I'm glad you brought up Dear Doctor because I thought you were going to try and stick with this thing where we pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> well, Don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm pretending that the genocide didn't happen, but the bad acting is still on the table. <laughs> the bad acting is on the table. It's the genocide we had to take off the table. Uh, you got to put the genocide aside, Peter. It was a long time ago. Speaking of denying things, I, I, I this is a good point. I don't know where it gets brought in, but uh, someone says, hit from a mine left over from, and I quote, some world war. I think there's real evidence here that World War Three did not happen, that it was fabricated. It was a figment of the Vulcan media. That there this, was some- this, this, this is becoming a real kind of cottage industry for you that you are establishing the field of skepticism for star trek world war three skepticism flat out denial flat out denial i mean there there could be there could be some a documentary here in the future where you're on the case proving that this did not happen it's not maybe i'll get a dragon con panel (laughs) i'll get to really flesh this out i the weakest part of this episode for me is the belief. And it's it's funny, too, because, you know, in Strange New Worlds, they brush right up against the Romulan thing. And that's a lot of the stuff's fresh in my mind. The first time we really see the Romulans is in uh, the original series. Right. And that's a big reveal like, oh, God, Romulans. And then obviously they touch on it in Strange New Worlds. Spoiler alert. Here they've gone back to the well in the same kind of acquisition uh, needling the rules, skirting the edges of uh, what's acceptable. The Romulans have been off the board, right? The notion yeah. that somehow Reed has any fucking 
clue whatsoever as to how this bomb works is fucking ridiculous. Unless there is a third party arms dealer who has sold mines or, or detonators or some sort of explosive technology to someone else that Reed has some contact with and also the Romulans. Like, or, or some kind of leftover tidbit from Daniels because they did touch on that. They've got the cheating stuff. So, you know, oh, hey, Captain, the same sensors that we were able to use to detect the mines have allowed us to scan the technology. And I am a techno whiz kid and I can interpret these things. Which I still don't buy. At least it would have provided a bridge. It might have been a rickety one. It might not have been the best one. But even that's better than just, yeah, I just I, I, I hacked. I hacked it with my tablet. I, the the way to do this for me would have been like whoever I've seen these bombs before. Uh, they're open, you know. They're available on the open market. They must outsource these bombs, right? I've been trained in this, and they I'm have the a right space place. for that dialogue because they talk about how it was like a spatial torpedo or something, but they don't frame it up in a way that helps explain the familiarity. You know, they they made this effort at it, but it wasn't correct. You yeah, know? yeah. They also part of Reed's story I wanted to talk about going back to Zunkel, this strong naval tradition in Reed's family that Reed ultimately was not able to follow, which going back to what's the birthday cake episode? It's the butt plug one. It's the butt probe episode. Yeah, probes, with the, probes, the, yeah. the attack yeah, from probes. Mars guys. <laughs> um, his dad kind of disinterested in Reed's groundbreaking achievements of being part of the Warp 5 project. Because, you know, antiquated boats is just that much cooler, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, Reed couldn't serve in the Navy because of this uh, this fear of drowning. So, you know, we, we look at the convoluted timeline of uh, Star Trek, including the World War Three that definitely did not happen. Along this Reed thing, like, where does a wet Navy possibly fit in? Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up, too mentioning it the one time kind of softly of that it was a tradition in the past makes sense because obviously there would have been boats before you know all the reeds of the past okay that piece makes sense but this was a recent ish you know a a relative of reeds was in a water navy great uncle so that's his grandfather's brother correct so that's two generations ago how many generations past the supposed world war three was archer well, Archer's dad worked with Zephyrin Cochran. So so his great-grandfather would have lived through World War, or would have been around for World War III then, right? Yeah, potentially his grandfather as well. You know, grandfather could have been a young during that period. Because Zephyrin Cochran was around for World War III. So they, they keep referring to basically a Royal Navy, right? HMS and this stuff. So it's like, it, is England still an autonomous force on Earth that is still operating a wet Navy? Or have they succumbed to the New World Order? Like, Because this is very interesting. I don't know when Earth united. Let's see if Memory Alpha can tell us. Uh, by the 2150s, the United Earth was... Coterminous with all major settlements made by humanity. Uh, so. Wait, 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 wait. 2150? Yes. 
because the in-universe date for this episode is 2152. So it would have just united, according to this. So 2150 Earth unites, 2151 Enterprise launches under Jonathan Archer, and humanity ascends to the precursor of the Federation. Yeah, here it says, it's a common misbelief that Australia was the last state to join the world government, as Beverly call, Crusher called it in 2150. Uh, but Australia's holding out, holding out was only used by Crusher as a hypothetical example when discussing the eligibility of the fractured planet Keprit with John Luke Picard in the TNG episode Attached. So that is where that comes from. That comes from a TNG reference. Throwaway, complete fucking Com- throwaway line. Complete throwaway line. And so... Yeah, apparently in it, it all of the stuff that they built around that is with the assumption that the the one earth government was on its way to being built in the first half of the 22nd century and then right before enterprise launches is when the last holdout countries finally joined it. So, it would have probably been a process of like, you know, 20 or 30 years I'm sure to get everyone on the same page, but that that is the lore on that. So I guess that means the Third World War would have occurred in the late 21st century, correct? Don't ask me to do math with this this sham of World War Three. You're going to give me a fucking aneurysm. Okay, well, no, hold on, hold on. We got Taryn's not here to bore our audience with a bunch of details. No one. Joe, I'm not going to sit here and listen to this hogwash about the fabricated lies of World War Three. Okay, so, you know, first contact day is April 5th, 2023, or April 5th, 2063. So that means that probably the Second World War occurred in the 2040s. So that's it. We're, we're narrowing this down together. We're doing the science. What are the lies the Star Trek media is trying to tell us about when this happened? What you're doing right now... <laughs> trying to create a timeline of what happened on earth it's more uh, effort than these fucking writers no, no, no. You, using shit. these throwaway lines from fucking season one season two episodes that were made in the 80s what you're doing right now is basically the same as trying to watch a standard porn movie for the plot like it was <laughs> never, this product was never meant to be used this way and yeah Right now, you and I are firmly in the wrong. We are basically yeah. we're basically trying to eat Tide Pods. We're, we're, like, what do you do? That's we're the, the problem. Works. We're the problem, right? Like when when people talk about how sanctimonious and difficult fans are, particularly fans who have this deep understanding of quote the lore end quote canon. We're canon or storylines. Like we're the fucking enemy, right? And this is why because no one no one thought that this was ever going to matter. And then probably 20 fucking years after this, someone wrote that goddamn line down. It's the whole basis of, of trying to con- reconstruct this fucking storyline for this show that is now so far beyond its original scope as to defy reality. Somewhere out there, James Seabon sitting there at his dinner table, nervously chewing at his thumbnail deep in the, d- the depths of his soul, the thought clawing at him like, God, I hope no one ever sits down and fucking tries to do the math on Reed's eligibility to serve in a wet Navy <laughs> under the English government. 
Yeah, on minute 50 of their fucking podcast about a goddamn show no one watched when it was new. Like, of all the places in all of the world, you know, listened to by a a bare handful of people. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, this this is a timeline that's so fucked. It is so wrecked. It is so nonsensical that a whole bunch of Hollywood producers decided to put their show a thousand years into the further future just so they didn't have to fuck with it anymore. Just so they could be clear of anything anyone had ever done so they didn't have to give two shits about what anyone had ever written down or said occurred. <sighs> so let me uh, let me hammer on this since I've been very forgiving. The predictable happens. Uh, Archer seemingly disarms the bomb, but the bomb wakes back up. Dun, dun, dun. Now we've really got uh, a time limit pressing on us. The Romulans, they decode the message, which is get the fuck out of here, which again is stupid. Why not just blow these guys up? Either you wanted people to die for coming by this planet or you didn't make up your mind. The Romulans have not. They're very understanding and this, you know, very on brand for Enterprise, which is we're going to present bad guys, but they're not going to really be bad guys. They're going to be super reasonable guys. <laughs> um, annoying, yet reasonable guys. It's worth pointing out Hoshi, like, apparently translated Romulan while concussed. So It's not that hard of a language. Yeah, I mean, it's close enough to Vulcan. I guess she just didn't notice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Lots of not being noticed there. Uh, we got to come up with a new uh, plan and quick. And uh, they're dancing around trying to figure out what they're going to do. By the end, uh, Reed's death wish is in full bloom. Captain, just detach the hull plating. Let me float off. Uh, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to, you know, have my wish of dying. This time, he's much less reluctant to sit there and record a million logs. Do you think he saved all of his, if you're hearing this, I'm probably dead, final entries from the shuttle pod? Like, shuttle pod one? Yes. I mean, absolutely. You, you save those. You can't take two days worth of hard work and just delete them, yeah. right? You, yeah. You put that on the flash drive and you're just like, I'm just going to make sure that someone knows about this. And it's like, if I die, make sure those go out. You know, I That's, did like, seems like the guy who would do that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I would say that should be standard operating protocol for Starfleet is make a, a log entry a day for someone you love that we need to send off when you die. I like when Archer's like, please critique my command style. And he's like, um, you're way too lax. And then Archer immediately retracts his openness about wanting constructive criticism. He starts acting like the boss who just got told he was bad at his job. I know what your thoughts are on this. Something interesting I'd like to see more of, because Reed does not exist in a bubble. Reed's up, Reed's training as a Starfleet officer of you don't fraternize with the crew. The captain is being inappropriate by inviting people for personal dinners. Uh, we got to stay by the book. This isn't just a British thing. This is a Starfleet thing. And Archer mm-hmm. confirms that by saying, I've had commanding officers like what you're describing who say they're your crew. They're not your friends. And I decided that for this mission, we could be out here for seven years. Little does he know it's only going to be a four season show. Uh, you know, I want to do things different. Are we going to encounter other Starfleet officers who come from the Reed school of thought? This is not a line that they tend to uh, explore. We have very limited contact with other Earth Starfleet vessels. In fact, I would say it isn't even until season three that you even ever see one. 
And it isn't until season four you s- that there's a whole plot around other Earth Starfleet vessels. Hmm. So this is this. They are very much portrayed, and they continue to move in the direction of these guys are completely on their own out here. And it doesn't leave a lot of space to explore an idea like that. Admittedly, it's too bad because it would have been interesting to see like the Pegasus version of Archer. Yeah. What does so other Earth Starfleet vessels look like as a basis of comparison? How much of an outlier is Archer? Yeah, that'd be interesting, but that's just not what this show is, you know. Like, sure, that's, that's other I wonder shows. if the amount of Starfleet on Starfleet interaction they had in Deep Space Nine is what discouraged uh i mean obviously voyager didn't have tons of starfleet on starfleet Mm -hmm. but voyager in many ways is that stark contrast to what deep space nine ended up being and i wonder if they were just like we like not having other starfleet other than maybe yeah i mean the reason why you don't see uh, other shows like ds9 is that it's rare that you can get an ensemble show like DS nine to work as well as it did because actors tend to want to have their time in front of the camera. They tend to, you know, they want to have their things, their pieces, their stuff, their highlight reels, their, their, their things that they're going to use to get further work. That's going to further their career uh, and that highlight their ability and their character. And they get possessive of that. You've heard that on Delta flyers when, sure. like, yeah. when, 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 uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah, Robert Duncan McNeil would complain about that. So, uh, but they got it to work on DS9 where you had people whose characters were never main characters and who never appeared in the in the top credits ever would have a two dozen episodes over the course of the run that was either with them in it or about them specifically. And you had a lot of these characters, these smaller characters that became integral to the plot and had stole focus away from main cast all the time. Now, the show was so good, people just, I guess, went with it. I Not entirely, though, because literally one of the actors did decide to leave before the end of the run of the show, like, willingly. And it wasn't at the season one. It was, like, late. And that you know definitely created an issue. Uh, but for, for Enterprise, I imagine it's the same circumstance where these guys want to have it to themselves. They don't want to fucking bring other people in. They don't want to have get constant guest stars. They did a little bit, but it's like with people who have like super amount of like credibility, like Jeffrey Combs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we get a little scene in there with uh, speaking of quitting, Reed uh, straight up basically attempts suicide, tries to force Archer's hand like captain, you have to give up on me uh, again. You know, we got to save the ship. He pulls his air hose out, tanks all his oxygen out into space, starts slipping off and Archer's like. Oh, darn. Here, let me give you all my air. Now you're back. Don't do that again, or I'll demote you. <laughs> Please don't kill yourself. I, it does definitely say a lot about Reed's character, that he's he is so committed to self-sacrifice <laughs> that he will literally kill himself to force the captain to leave him behind. Um, but it's just too repetitive. We we understood the point of his willingness to die the first time it was made. The second, third, and fourth by this point emphasis just, is just too much. I'm just laughing, having fun with it. Like it's it's ridiculous at that point. Uh, it's ridiculous is how they solve the the problem, which is with surfing. It's explosion <sighs> surfing. And I see the look on your face. Fucking stupid. The, the Romulans like get out of here. Or else. And they're like, look, we can't go to warp. We got a fucking guy literally 
staked to the ship. At no point do they say, hey, listen, if you want us out of here, like disarm the fucking mine so we can unstake our crew member pinned we'll to the get out of here. Yeah. And then we'll leave again. Do the Romulans want Enterprise to blow up? Do they want them to leave? Wheels within wheels, Peter. I don't know. They don't know. Also, Enterprise at no point ever even thinks to ask, like, could you please just turn the fucking thing off? Would have been a great time for them to say, we didn't make this thing. We bought it off Wish.com. In fact, Alibaba. In fact, normally we're extremely secretive uh, and 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 all of that, you know, telltale shiar shiar kind of stuff. Uh, but just to let you see how the sausage is made, we don't even know how to fucking navigate this thing. We've been trying to get down <laughs> to that planet, and we're not actually chasing you off. We're just stuck in here too. They've accidentally flooded the basement with a bunch of bubbles in the washing machine. They don't know what to do. The reason why we have not blown you up. That's what we need. We need to cut over to the fucking uh, the, the Romulan vessel. Don't show their faces. You can just show their hands or whatever. And the secret plan here is like, I can't believe we don't know how to turn these goddamn minds off. High command's going to be so pissed if we don't get the doodads off the planet here. Hey, this Enterprise, they're stuck there. We should just blow them up. Yeah, but what if they could figure out how to deactivate the minds? <laughs> the minds! <laughs> we just hide this they're up. sitting there with fucking binoculars watching exactly what Archer's doing with his fucking space clamps and they're like okay t- turn it to the clockwise 70 degrees okay alright yeah and they got like the fucking uh, satellite dish little radio things with headphones like listen to what Reed's saying good now we finally know the combination they're, 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 they're going too slow alright shoot more over their left nacelle like really motivate them they're like, get the fuck out of here. And they're like, but someone's stuck there. And they're like, well, fuck that one guy. Get out of here. We're going to blow up the whole ship. Jump to the solution, which is ultimately detach the plating, which mm-hmm. is cool. Very cool. Very neat idea. Floats off. Archer has one of these. I've got an idea, but I'm not going to take the three seconds to fucking explain myself. Hey, give me two pieces of wall panel with handlebars. Give me two fucking shower stall walls from... <laughs> handicaps like a hotel where it's got the fucking bar to prop yourself up there's either 10 or 20 seconds on the fuse after we arm this thing we're gonna cut your leg free and then we're gonna pivot around and hold the shield so when it explodes it harmlessly whisks us away because that's how explosions work it's going to propel us at sufficient speed such that we can catch up back to our ship that is moving at fractions of light speed and then allow us to board said vessel without really cutting to exactly how this is all physically happening. No tractor beams exist. No, no, like, hey, we did this thing so that when it happens, we're going to grab them like this or we're going to transport them. No amazing... And this would have been a great time to show off what a badass Mayweather is as you cut to exterior view as he last-minute tilts... So these guys fly into the shuttle bay instead of bouncing off the fucking... Or, or just transport them. Funny you should mention that, Joe. Just because here's the weakest them. shit of the entire episode for me. You can't do this. You can't do that. There's all these things we can't do to save Reed. And no point did they ever say, just beam the fucking guy in. I understand if they said before the leg was removed... That, hey, we can't get him beamed up because the interference from the bomb. So he has to get away from the bomb and bombs through his leg. He can't get beamed out. Okay. Simple. Easy. 
the solution should have always been after you get the plate lifted off and you cut them off and you got those few seconds and it's like, now get us beamed out. We've, we've moved the bomb away. <laughs> it's floating into space. For as much praise as I can heap on John Sieben for watching all the previous episodes, it's like he just was looking at his phone for every scene that had anything to do with the transporter. Yeah. Just like, well, why, you know, why are they surfing off off camera? Why is this the solution? Here, here's uh, the deal. Uh, you're going to either get blown up by the bomb. We could amputate your fucking leg or you could, uh, I don't know, get your soul sucked out. Hasn't he's already beamed down too, hasn't he? In yes, the he has. Yeah. So his soul, so is his gone. soul's already gone. He's got nothing yeah. to lose. Your option here is to maybe get beamed into the wall, which admittedly is a lot to lose (laughs) (laughs) or get blown up or get, you know, fulfill your ultimate prophecy of becoming Lieutenant Dan and having your legs amputated. Well, it, the, the explosion surfing worked for some reason and, you know, Reed and, and Archer have a little har har. We have bonded in a weird way through this experience. Isn't that great? Let's, Let's clap them off, everybody. Let's clap them off. Yeah, what a what a wonderful entry. While you're at it, don't forget to send a uh, thank you card to the very patient Romulans that did not blow your asses up. Yeah, yeah. They were too busy listening to how you were disarming them. You could be you real friends. You could, you could show them some real space friendship and send them a copy of that uh, tablet program that shows how to disarm the bombs so those guys could get out of the minefield. So that's it for this episode, Peter. Do you have uh, access to the memory alpha for the next one? Season two, episode four, Dead Stop. And there is, uh, I don't know, Archer and some other people. They're standing in a white room. Just a little hologram of the Enterprise. Suffering damage inflicted uh, from a minefield and unable to complete repairs on their own. Archer orders a distress call to put out. And the response leads Enterprise to a repair station, which surprisingly uh, is full of fun. I was actually going to mention, like, how the fuck are they going to fix this thing? They're going to have to go back to Earth. There is a big chunk of hole missing. Oh, yeah. And they do not have replicators to just make new. This isn't this isn't Voyager. You don't have the magic whoosh of the homeostasis wand coming to reset everything back to uh, square one. Did you see who's directing this episode? Roxanne Dawson. The space station will be full of cum. Absolutely chock full of cum. And you it can is come with us. The hotel from the shining the doors are going to open and instead of blood pouring out it's going to be jizz exploring dead stop and as we judge the highs and lows and the buckets have come as we always <laughs> do on future plays and we'll see you then